So the first question is, when will the Abbey and Convent open? We don't know actually when exactly, but we are waiting until um, it will be safe for visitors to come and stay because the Abbey and the Convent are close communities, different than the church. In the church, when people actually visit, after they leave, after liturgy, we can sanitize the church and keep it clean. But in the Abbey and the Convent, it's like a closed community. So God forbid, if there is a virus entered, it will be a challenge actually to clean the whole community because people are living there. So uh, it may take a while until the Abbey and the Convent will be open again. Um, Your Grace, the next question is, does the church lean on more conservatives or liberals? The church lean more on the biblical teaching and the holy tradition that's received from the early church fathers. Conservative and liberal is very elastic terms. So how conservative you'll be conservative, how, how liberal you'll be liberal. So uh, I prefer to say the church actually depends on the teaching of the Holy Scripture and the Holy Tradition of the early church fathers. What's the church's view on one giving up their body to science after death? Uh, the church is not against this. Actually, the church recommends this as long as these scientific studies are moral, ethical, and not against God's plan and God's economy for the world. Because not every scientific study or research is moral and ethical. Um, the next question is, so we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the Old Testament, God was called man of war. Then how can we call him God of love? In the New Testament also we call him man of war. And in the Old Testament we call him also man of love. What do I mean? God, as you said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the story of Nineveh, we can see clearly the love and the compassion of God. And Jonah said to God, I know you are a compassionate God. You are uh, uh, long-suffering. You are loving. You are kind. You, you, you are forgiving God. You can read this actually in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. So God is the same. But big difference between Old Testament and New Testament, not in God, in us. So let me just give you an example from our life. If parents actually, their children are very compliant, godly, uh, not troublemaker at all. So the, the parents actually deal with them with love and compassion and, and you know that's what they see all the time. But if the children all of a sudden start to be troublemakers, uh, give them hard time, become to be rebellious, etc. So the parents here, they will change the way they are dealing with them out of love. So they may discipline them and may, may punish them out of love in order to protect them from this uh, rebellious spirit. So who changed it here? Not actually the parents, but the children changed. In the same way, actually, uh, exactly happens with, uh, with God. In the Old Testament, there was no grace. Satan was the prince of the world. 
So the evil was too, too much. If we compare the evil in the New Testament, was too, too much with what we are seeing right now. This will happen again when Satan will be released. When Satan will be released, we'll see the same evil like in the Old Testament. So God in the Old Testament appeared as more disciplinarian, not because he is not God of love. No, actually because he, he loves the people, he disciplined them. But once the people repent and return to God, then God actually removed this discipline from them. So God is the same. There is no contradiction between God of love and God of war. Nowadays, and actually during the time of Antichrist, and when Satan will be released, we will see God of war at this time. New Testament. Why does the Bible have violence? Again, we need to know that God is the author of life and death. And God actually has the authority to end the life of any person. And has the authority to end it the way he wants to end it. You know, like a judge when he actually write death penalty. Uh, we don't actually consider this judge as a murderer. That's his authority. So if God actually gives this authority to the people, then definitely he has this authority. And this fight or, or violence that you see, it's more actually in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Again, not because the nature of God changed it, but because Satan was the prince of the world and the evil was so much. So God actually wants to set boundaries in order to protect the, the few people that were following him. Why it was very important God to protect these few people following him? Because from them, Jesus Christ will incarnate. God, the, the hypostasis of the Son will incarnate. Can you imagine if everybody would was evil, every, every single body, the incarnation would be impossible. So God actually wanted to protect at least one family, family of David, in order for him to be incarnate from this family. That's why God actually fought all the evil in the Old Testament in order to make the incarnation possible. So again, it is the people who were very evil and very wicked. Uh, that's why, actually, out of love, God disciplined them. And the next question is, was Jesus a socialist? <laughs> Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our king, our God. When actually you search socialist and socialism, there is a political dimension in it. When you go and read the definition of socialism, there is a political dimension in it. But God, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So God is the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is our king, our God, our high priest, our defender, our savior. Uh, but he has nothing to do with politics because, as he said, my kingdom is not of this world. In your own perspective, what is the meaning of life? To abide in God and God abide you in you. Because God said, I am the truth, the life, and the way. I am the resurrection and the life. So, life is to be with God and to abide in God. Separation from God is death. In John chapter 5, the Lord differentiated between dead and those in graves or those in tombs. 
He said the hour has come and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. Then he said the hour will come in the future when the people in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and will be risen. So who are the dead? The dead, those are separated from God because of their sins. So, death is separation from God. So, life is to be with God. That's why in the book of Revelation, God said to one of the angels, You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You have a name. You are alive, but you are dead. Dead because there was separation between him and God. The next question is, being in the church, we find ourselves close to God and being able to follow him. How do we maintain that on a daily basis and out of church? It's difficult. Because if I tell you, you can maintain this, this means we don't need churches. But we do need the church. And nothing will replace being in the church. So, we are trying as much as we can through prayer, through meeting like this, through the scripture, through uh, some virtual prayers and activities. But at the end, nothing, nothing will replace being in the church. So, if, if just you want to say uh, how yeah, and we're able to, to, to maintain that, the, the same connection and the same relationship while we are out of the church, there is no way. And I emphasize, there is no way. Because if there is a way, then we don't need the churches. Next question is, how do we answer those who ask us at this time why we still have faith if God is allowing suffering? God did not hide from us the fact that we will suffer. He said, in the world you will have many tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And God told us, if you want to be my disciple, carry your cross and follow me. So, actually, having suffering will increase my faith, not decrease it. Because it proves the integrity, the honesty, the, the faithfulness of the word of God. God told us, yes, you will weep and lament, but I will see you and then you will rejoice. Uh, so definitely, uh, suffering will not decrease our faith in God. Also, not every suffering comes from God. God did not create us to suffer, by the way. In his plan, in his economy, he did not create us to suffering. But we brought suffering upon ourselves by our own will when we separated ourselves from God. So, suffering entered into the world as part of the fall of Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve did not, did not disobey God, we wouldn't suffer. So why, why we blame God? For example, if parents give a clear instruction to their children not to do certain stuff, but the children did it, no matter what. Then they start to suffer. So can they blame parents and say, how I can call them parents because they allow me to suffer? They give you the instruction. You can tell me about God in his uh, ability, because he is God, to eliminate suffering. Yes, but God is, is just and fair and merciful. 
if, if God actually just eliminated suffering, the evil will increase in the world because everybody will, will do whatever he wants to do and uh, there is no co- consequences. Can you imagine if there is no police, if there is no uh, courts, if, if there is no consequences for the evildoers in the world, how can the world will look like? It will be like forest of beasts. So suffering is not from God, but for those actually who believe in God, God will turn the suffering into opportunity to grow, opportunity to be with Him. As we say in St. Gregory liturgy, you have turned my, turned my punishment into salvation. So there is no contradiction between suffering and the love of God. And actually, uh, the fact that God allows suffering because He is a just God, but suffering, we brought it on ourselves when we rebelled against the commandment of God. The next question is, though some non-Orthodox churches are still apostolic churches, and although they have their own ideologies and dogmas, many miracles have happened in their history. Will they go to heaven? In other words, is there salvation outside the Orthodox Church? So is, if salvation can only be found in the Orthodox Church, what about the Chalcedonians? We are still in a schism with them, and we have anathemas on them, and vice versa. Will they go to heaven? And can your grace clarify what is exactly causing the split? Okay. This question about who will go to heaven and who will not go to heaven, uh, only God can answer it, because he is the judge of the world. But I can tell you, because what's revealed to me in the scripture, the way to heaven. So I can tell you what is the way to heaven. But who can go and who cannot, I cannot actually, if I answer this question, then I put myself in the place of God and making judgment, this denomination will go to heaven, this denomination will not go to heaven. And that's not my place. But, for example, if you read John chapter 3, you will find baptism is a requirement to go to heaven. If you read John chapter 6, you will find communion is a requirement to go to heaven. If you read in Luke uh, chapter 13, when the Lord said, unless you repent, you all perish, and he repeated in verses 3 and verses 5, so repentance is a requirement to go to heaven. So I can tell you about why people actually, what, what is the way of, of heaven? What's the way of salvation? About the miracles, miracles can be done and not necessarily reflect that a true miracle can be done, but not necessarily reflect that this is the true faith. For example, God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar Nasser in a dream in the book of Nasser, in a dream, what will happen? And the book of Nasser actually was not a religious person. But God gave him prophecy about what will happen for so many generations. Can we say then the faith of Nebuchadnezzar Nasser was okay? Pharaoh during the time of Joseph, God in a dream revealed to him uh, the seven years of famine and the seven years of abundance. Does this mean Pharaoh, who was worshipping idols, then he's a prophet and, and his faith is correct? So yes, God, because he's compassionate, he can do miracle with anybody. So the miracle, we should not take the miracle, even the true miracle, as indication of true faith. Otherwise, Pharaoh would be, okay, his faith and, and Nebuchadnezzar, etc. But the true faith is what's revealed to us in the scripture. Regarding the Chalcedonian and the non-Chalcedonian, since Council of Chalcedon in um, 451, uh, there was a dispute about the nature of Christ. Christ is perfect human and perfect divine. 
So the dispute whether these two natures were separated, that's what they call themselves diophysis. Physis means nature, dio means two. So this belief in two natures. Or these two natures are united together without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration. And these people call maya thesis. Maya means one, thesis, nature. So the non-Chalcedonian, like our church, believes in maya thesis. One nature for the incarnated Son of God. But the Chalcedonian believe in two natures. That's why they call themselves diophysite. Dio means two, physite, nature. And this dispute remained from 451 till 1989. In 1989, theologians from both churches, from both families, came together to discuss the nature of Christ. And thank God, actually, they joined, they, they signed two statements. One statement in 1989 and the other statement in 1991. And this is a statement on the internet. If you actually look, uh, and actually under our website, ssscaps.org, you can find them. Joint statement uh, between Oriental and Orthodox churches. In this, actually, a joint statement, I will summarize it in this uh, phrase. We both believe that Jesus is perfect human and perfect divine, and these two natures are united together without mingling, without confusion, without alteration, and we abide by the teaching of St. Cyril of Alexandria, who said in Greek, Mea Thesis to Eio to Theus Sarcomini, which means one nature for the incarnated Son of God. And we excommunicate Eutychus, who spoke about single nature. Single is different than one. Single means either divinity or humanity. So we, we excommunicate Eutychus, and we excommunicate Nostorius, who spoke about two natures. And from 91 until now, we are working to lift the excommunication in order to be in full union. Uh, there are some obstacles, uh, but we are praying to God that he help us to remove these obstacles so uh, we, we, we can co-celebrate the divine liturgy together, God willing. The next question is, how did each denomination of Christianity come to be? How did they form and where did they get their rights from? Why do they believe that they are right? May your grace explain, please. Okay. Until 451, as I said, there was no, uh, there was no split. Uh, so all, all the churches were one just a Christian, whether in Egypt, Alexandria, or Rome, or Antioch, or Constantinople, just one church. In 451, the first split happened. I thank Abuna Jerome. Abuna Jerome sent you uh, as a text message the agreed statement. Uh, in 451, as I explained after this division, we became two groups, the Chalcedonian and the non-Chalcedonian. And until now, nobody called himself Orthodox or Catholic or Protestant or anything. Then another split happened in 1052. 1052. This split happened because of the procession of the Holy Spirit. In the creed we say, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. So, and this happened in the family of the Chalcedonian. So the Chalcedonian actually is split into two groups. One group believes that the Holy Spirit proceeds only from the Father, 
And the other group said, no, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So now we have three groups. The non-Chalcedonian, the Chalcedonian who believes in procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father only, Chalcedonian who believes from the procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. And in order, so, so actually each group now is choosing a name. Instead of saying, Chalcedonian who believe in the procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son, you know, you cannot define a group like this. So, those who Chalcedonian believed from uh, in the procession of the Holy Spirit from Father and Son became Roman Catholic. Those Chalcedonian believe in procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father only, Eastern Orthodox. And those who believe the non-Chalcedonian like us, Oriental Orthodox. So, in the 11th century, you have three groups. The uh, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Oriental Orthodox. Then, in the, uh, before the 16th century, when uh, one of the uh, kings of uh, King Edward, oh, Edward, yes, I think King Edward, from uh, UK, want to divorce his wife and to marry another. So, the, uh, they, they actually were part of Europe under uh, the Pope of Rome, Roman Catholic. So, the Pope refused actually to grant him divorce. So he split from the church and made himself the king is the head of the church. And until now, and, and, and called himself the Anglican Church. So the Anglican Church is the Church of England. And until now, the Queen of UK is the head of the church, not the Archbishop of Canterbury. And when the Anglican immigrated to America, they called themselves Episcopal. So the Episcopal Church here are the Anglican. Then another split happened in Germany in the 16th century when Martin Luther, uh, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther was a monk, a German monk, Catholic monk, wanted to reform the church. But let me explain. Uh, I hope you, and all of you can see me. If that is the faith that was given to us from God, like this, then actually, unfortunately, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic, drifted, drifted to one side, like this. So Martin Luther, actually, his intention was good. He wanted to reform the church. But instead, actually, of taking the church to the middle, he took it to the another extreme. And they called themselves Protestant, Protestant because they protested the Catholic Church. So, now we have the Orthodox in the middle, Catholic another extreme, Protestant another extreme. And you can find the Orthodox Church in the middle, between two extremes, a Catholic and Protestant. I can give you tens of examples, but just I will give you one example. St. Mary, Mother of God. We venerate her, the Orthodox. The Catholic elevate her like God and call him, for example, Co-Redeemer and believe in the Immaculate Conception that she was born without the original sin. Protestants, they say, she's nothing. She's like all of, all of us. We should not revere, uh, uh, venerate her. So here you can see how the Orthodox in the middle of two extremes. Another example, priesthood. Rome believe, Catholic believe in the infallibility of the Pope. Protestant don't believe in any denominations, in any priesthood, no priesthood. But the Orthodox believe that Yes, there is priesthood, but we don't say we are infallible. 
humans, who are human beings, who are fallible like anybody, and so on. Uh, of course, every denomination claims they are the truth, but for us to know who is the true, let us compare our faith with the faith in the first four centuries before the split of the church. If you find us exactly like the early church, then we are right. If you find the Protestant, then they are right. If you find the Catholic, they are right. But let me tell you a story. There were actually 18 evangelical pastors. They felt uncomfortable with the way they are worshipping. So, they decided to study how the early church was worshipping. And they studied actually for how many days? For eight years. Eight years. And they came with some findings. The early church was worshipping like this. Then actually try to compare all their findings with the, all the contemporary churches. And unfortunately, they did not find any church matching their findings. And until this moment, they never heard about orthodoxy. So, somebody told them, did you check out the orthodox church? They said, no. What is the orthodox church? So start to check the orthodox church and compare the orthodox church with their findings. And to their surprise, they found their findings identical with the worship and the life and the belief of the orthodox church. That's why all of them with their congregation joined the orthodox church. And they published two books, important books. One called Coming, Becoming Orthodox, Why They Became Orthodox, and the other one called Coming Home. Coming Home because they considered returning to the Orthodox Church going back home. And I am sure actually all of you, or most of you, use the Orthodox Study Bible. The chief editor of the Orthodox Study Bible is Father Peter Gilquist. And Father Peter Gilquist is one of these 18 evangelical. And he is actually the author of the two books, Becoming Orthodox and Coming Home. So here we have 18 evangelical Protestant pastors studied uh, the early church without actually uh, hearing or knowing anything about the Orthodox church. And they came to the conclusion that the church that kept the faith unchanged is the Orthodox church. The next question is, can we have grow deacons? If you prove to me that St. Mary was a priest or a deacon, yes, we can. Uh, God, when he chose the disciples, he chose them males. He did not choose, yes, there were followers like St. Mary Magdalena, but the priesthood and the deaconship God gave it actually to the males. The Old Testament and the New Testament, the tribe of Levi. God actually, it is not difference in the honor, but it is difference in the function. God entrusted males with certain function in the body of Christ and entrusted females with other function. You know? And we need actually to respect God's economy. Otherwise, we'll be like the church of Laodicea. Laodicea from the word Laos means people who actually refuse the ruling of God and they want the ruling of people. Ruling of people is Laodicea. So what we see right, we'll do it. Forget about what God is saying. The scripture, the early church, 
the minister of the Lord Jesus Christ did not say at all that women can be deacons or priests. And Saint Mary, the mother of God, who is above the cherubim and seraphim and all the priests and all the deacons, she was not even absaltus. The next question is, why can't the Coptic Church go back to the ancient traditions of the previous centuries, and why can't we use the original pronunciation of the Bohiric dialect? You are actually asking two questions. I don't know what you mean by why can't the Coptic Church go back to the ancient tradition of the previous centuries. Uh, we did not change. You know, the Coptic Church and Orthodox Church is like a high-rising building from 21 stories. So every story is like a century and we are building above each other. That's the Coptic Church. So we are not changing the, the previous tradition, but we are building over it. For example, uh, now all of us who are using uh, this uh, program to be able to connect and, and have a meeting together. Definitely the early church, St. Mark, did not use it. So should we use it or we should not use it? You know? So, but but the, the, the tradition, the holy tradition of the church is the holy tradition. We did not change it. It's the ancient tradition that we received from the early church. About the Bohairic dialect, there is actually a school and some churches are using this dialect, but the most common one is not the Bohairic dialect. That's why, and during the time of Pope Shenouda and now during the time of Pope Tawadros, in order not to confuse the people, people already struggling with the Coptic language. So now when we confuse them with two dialects, people will be confused. So there is consensus that we use the contemporary dialect because it's common, most of us know it, so there is no need for more confusion, especially many people actually, they don't, they struggle when we pray with the Coptic language. The next question is, why have the liturgy and the hymnology of the Coptic Church changed throughout time? Why couldn't things just remain the same? It develops, like everything develops, but did not change. We have hymns actually very ancient, like Uburu, like Kiberto. These hymns are very, very ancient hymns. Uh, but nothing wrong when you develop and you add. For example, Pope Kirillus IV, he wanted actually to pursue union or unity with the Eastern Orthodox, as what we are trying right now. So part of his effort to do this, he took some hymns, from the Greek church and added to the Coptic church, like Christos Aristi that you chanted right now. That's not, uh, that's a, a, a Greek, like Iparsenus, you know, and nothing wrong with that. And, and, and this was just part of his effort to unite the two families together by taking some hymns and using them in, in, in our church. So, uh, anything is developed and as I said we built on what we received not we destroy what we received and then we start a new uh, building uh, nothing wrong to develop and to change uh, as long as in the right direction and not against the teaching of the scripture So someone asked an, an additional question. Why can't girls sing in Tezbaha, even when the first canonical says, Mary and the prophetess took the tremble in her hand? So basically this person is asking if girls can at least do that. 
girls and, and all the congregations, they should participate in Tazbiha. But there is a rank called the chanter. So this rank will be leading. But leading means they are singing solo. So they lead, but everybody, girls and women and adults and men and children, you know, when you look at the liturgy book, it says the congregation. So everybody can can chant together. But who is leading the chanter, the rank of the chanter? So there is a rank from the ranks of the deacons called the chanter. This should be leading, not anybody. When Jesus Christ was crucified, it said that the world went dark, there was an earthquake, and the veil split in the middle of the church. So why is the veil like still like having a normal church right now? Like, why is it like, well, why do we still have it? Uh, what we have, we call it iconostasis, not veil. Iconostasis, a stand to have icons. So, the altar represents heaven of heavens. Iconostasis represents the paradise. That's why we have all the icon of the saints on this iconostasis. And the nave of the church represents us. As if we are saying, here in the church, all of us are together. We, in a struggling church here, or militant church, then those in victorious church in the paradise, present with us, we put their icons of the iconostasis, then inside the altar represent the heaven of heavens, the throne of God. So what we have it, we don't call it veil, we call it iconostasis. Clear? Any more questions before I start? Okay. We uh, are now living the Holy 50 days in which we celebrate the, law, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is not a commemoration, like when you celebrate your birthday, for example. Yeah, that's my birthday today. No, no, no. The resurrection is a life. We live it with Christ. We live the resurrection. So my question actually to you, simply how to live the resurrection. And I want you on your answer. For example, if you're going to tell me I will live resurrection by prayer, for, for example. I want you to support your answer with a verse from the Bible. Either says clearly, if you pray, you are raised with Christ, or a verse that says, if you pray, you move from death to life, because moving from death to life is also resurrection. So, I want you to tell me how to live resurrection uh, by giving me verses. Uh, and to make it easy for you, there are six things, six things in order to live the resurrection of Christ. So, go ahead. I'm expecting answers. Okay, I'll make it easy for you. Open John chapter 5 and try to find the first one. Oh, somebody's answering. Yes. Very good. John 5. David, thank you, David. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So number one is faith. Very good. Thank you. And, and here is a verse. Okay. Second reference, you can find it in, um, in John chapter 5 also. In the same verse, I said faith, but can you see some, something else in the same verse, verse 24? There are two things in this verse. Faith and what else? Bible, thank you, John. 
hearing the word of God. So hearing the word of God actually make me pass from death to life. But faith also, there is another reference for faith. You'll find it in John 11, when the Lord said to Martha, he who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Yeah, John 11, 25. Thank you, Sheer. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. So we have two things now. Hearing the word of God and faith. Third reference, to help you, you can find it in Romans chapter 6. Turn your Bible to Romans 6 and try to tell me what's number 3. Yes, thank you, Share again. Romans 6, 4, baptism. If we participate in his in the likeness of his death, we will participate in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism, we are buried with Christ and we move from death to life. So now we have the word of God, we have faith, and we have baptism. Very good. Number four, in John chapter 6. Try to find verses in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Communion. Thank you, Misho and David. Communion. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very clear. And I will raise him in the last day. Right? Okay. Uh, number five. The fifth point, you'll find it in Luke chapter 15. Which verse? Yes, repentance. My son, he was dead and now he is alive. How he moved from death to life? By repentance. Thank you, Gracie, Mireille, Cherry, Justina. Thank you, repentance. Very good. The last one, you can find it in First John chapter 3. Confession will go with repentance. Repentance and confession go together. Something else. But thank you. Uh, love your brother. Thank you, Grace. Verse Cam. And thank you also, Mireille. Verse, verse 14 is very clear. We know that we have passed from death to life. Passed from death to life is resurrection. Because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in this. Okay? So I'm sending you now the sixth point. Faith, word of God, communion, baptism, repentance and confession, love and good works. Because we should not love by word, but by works. Okay. If a person never heard about Christ, Can you rearrange these six steps? What would be number one? What would be number two? What would be number three? So what would be number one from these six points? Yes. Thank you, Mish. Word of God. And thank you, Cyril. Yeah. <laughs> number one, you need to, to, to listen to the word of God. You, you, you never know anything about love or good work or something. So number one actually is to hear the word of God. That's number one. Okay. After I hear the word of God, what would be the next step? Thank you, Nicholas and John and Lara and Mina and yeah, who said faith. So to believe. And after I hear, I believe. Then after I believe, what would be the third step? I disagree. Baptism, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Repentance. Thank you, Grace. Yeah. Do you remember Peter in, in Acts chapter 2? After the people believed, they asked, what should we do? He told them, repent and be baptized. Repentance before baptism. So, repentance. And after repentance, communion. No, is there something? Baptism. Very good. 
And after baptism, communion. Mm. And the last step, yeah, will be love and good work. You know? Because love actually is the fruit of the Spirit. And I need to abide in Christ. So for me actually, how to participate in the resurrection? If I'm not studying and reading and living the Word of God every day, then I did not celebrate resurrection. If my faith is shaken and I have a lot of doubts, so actually every day I need to live my faith. My faith should be living. Every day I should repent. Every day I should live my baptism. What's baptism? To die to the world and to live to Christ. So every day I need to die to the world and live to Christ. That's baptism. And to take communion and to do good works from a loving heart. When actually I do these six things, I'm living the restriction of Christ. But without doing these things, I am far away. So uh, the celebration of the Feast of Resurrection will be just what? Um, like you celebrate your birthday. And that's it. So I, I will leave you with these six points to reflect on them, to, to live them on a daily basis. And thus, you are the resurrection. It's not just a feast, but a life we live it every day with Christ. Now, love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, communion gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. May the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.